a bottom bracket is like the transmission of a car. It's, it's taking all the power that's coming from your legs and it needs to transfer it to the chain. So one, it's very obvious if you have additional friction there that's unnecessary that, you know, that the power transfer is not going to be as efficient. We like to take that a step further and also make bottom brackets as stiff as possible by not making them super flimsy, not drilling holes in them. And typically we, as a rule, try to move the bearings as close to the crank arms as we can to make the stiffest possible setup. That was the founder of Kogel Bearings, Ard Kessels. And this is his story on the Pacing Racing Podcast. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back and welcome to the first time listeners. My name is Steven Langenhausen and I'm the host of the Pacing Racing Podcast. Joining us today is Ard Kessels, founder of Kogel Bearings, which is a company that I went with to get my Quintana Roo bike race ready for Chattanooga 70.3 and Challenge Roth that are both fast approaching. To be honest, through my early days of triathlon, I never thought twice of what bearings my bike was equipped with, nor could I even explain where the bearings were on my bike. After a ton of research, I thought it just made sense to share this information with you guys as listeners and who better to seek the answers from than the Kogel mogul himself. So Ard walks us through the backstory of Kogel bearings as a company, and he breaks things down and explains to us what the benefits are of good quality ceramic bearings. Ard goes in depth on each of the bearing sets we have on our bike and how these benefits translate over to measurable results in an Ironman. Now on our bikes, you may or may not know that we have bearings in all places that require any rotation. Therefore, your wheels are in rotation, and so they have bearings in their hubs. And the nice thing about wheel bearings is that even when we stop pedaling, they keep moving. We also have bearings in our bottom bracket, which allows your crank to spin so you can rotate the pedals. We then have the bearings inside the rear derailleur pulleys, which allow your bike's drivetrain to spin and guides the chain to the cassette. And then lastly, we also have the bearings in the headset of your bike, which allow your handlebars to rotate, and there's bearings in pedals as well. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, yeah, okay, Stephen, we get it. Thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> but I mean, for some of the listeners who may be new to the bearings concept, I don't want you to go into this episode without at least being primed to understand where the bearings are in your bikes and what their purposes are. So this is going to be an awesome episode, everyone. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you're not driving, then I highly encourage you to leave aside a pen and paper for some notes. Now, let's get into it. The sponsor of today's podcast is brought to you by Quintana Roo Triathlon Bikes. I'm absolutely ecstatic and humbled to be working alongside Quintana Roo as they have the best lineup of triathlon bikes and products out there on the market. And to be riding a Quintana Roo bike is honestly a dream come true. Now, Quintana Roo actually started making triathlon bikes all the way back in 1989 and have since created the nicest looking designs and the most top performing features I've seen. And after a ton of research, I went with the PR5, seeing as I'll be doing my first full distance triathlon at Challenge Roth this summer. So I want to make sure I was equipped with the best bike and the best gear. And I can't wait to show this bike off. So currently right now, I'm working alongside JP at Brown Sports on a bike fit video, which is going to be awesome because for those who don't know about that shop, they sell and do bike fits on QR bikes all the time. So you can stay tuned for that by simply subscribing to the Pace Racing YouTube channel. And Another reason I went with Quintana Roo bikes were that when you ride with QR, you essentially become family. Now, at any Ironman or USA Triathlon event that QR is attending, you can bring your QR bike to the booth and they'll do a free checkup and tune-up, which is super, super cool because it takes the worry out of your racing and traveling. 
The bike also comes with lifetime warranties. So when you look at the 2019 Kona bike list, you can see why they had over 120 Quintana Roo bikes there. They're absolutely a great brand to ride with, and the bikes are well-suited for challenging courses like Kona. And another neat fact, when you order from Quintana Roo, all the bikes are pulled, painted, and built for each customer order that comes through the door, so much so that they fall within the NAFTA guidelines, and Canadian customers don't actually get hit with any duty on any QR products when they're shipped to Canada. So I think that's pretty neat if you're living here in Canada. I mean, as you can hear, of course, I'm a big fan of not only their bikes, but also their brand and service in general. So stay tuned because you'll be seeing lots of the PR5 across social media. So be sure to be subscribed to all platforms. And again, if you want to learn more about Quintana Roo, then of course, you can simply find them by searching them on Facebook or Instagram by searching Quintana Roo or head to www.quintanarootry.com. And again, Quintana Roo is spelt Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-A-R-O-O. The second sponsor of today's show is 51 Speed Shop, and this is a company that is making huge headway in the triathlon industry. The key difference between 51 Speed Shop and their competitors is that they don't just take the fit first approach in their development, they are the fitters and are actually very well known for being some of the best fitters out there, and I truly think their products they design could be some of the best products out there when it comes to a blend of aerodynamics, comfort, and performance. So between 80-90% to of the overall resistance affecting the rider comes from aerodynamic drag. Therefore, if we can reduce the drag, the rider can maintain a higher velocity for the same given efforts. And when we buy a triathlon bike, we're actually buying speed. Now, the tri-bike allows a rider to hold a position on the bike and attempt to decrease aerodynamic drag. However, that number one thing that impacts a rider's ability to increase their speed is not aerodynamics. In fact, it's comfort. Now, comfort is measured as our ability to sustain your position for the duration of your race. And if you're unable to hold your position because you're uncomfortable then nothing else really matters. And that's why 51 Speed Shop has created a variety of aero bar extensions to meet the demands of all types of riders. For example, if you like your wrist in neutral positions with higher hand height when holding the bars, then you can look at the Ski Carbon Extensions, which is used by riders like Jake Burtwistle, Sam Appleton, and Jake Montgomery. Now, if you like neutral wrist with moderate hand height, then you can go with the FSM extensions like Heather Jackson or Tim Reed. Now, you also have the option of the ultimate carbon extensions that offer high hand position while offering multiple rotational configurations, or you can even pair any of these extensions with the 51 Monorizer Aerobar system for maximal aerodynamics and comfort. I'm personally a big fan of this brand and their extensions. I'll definitely be throwing a pair on my PR5. Now, which ones? You'll have to stay tuned to find out which ones we'll be putting on through our bike fit video. Now, to find out more about 51 Speed Shop, you can actually check them out on Instagram or Facebook by searching 51 Speed Shop, or you can simply check out all their products by going to their website at 51-speedshop.com. All right, so the Kogo Mogul of Kogo Bearings. Aaron, what's going on, man? How's it going? All good. How are you? Good, man. I'm uh, First off, I'm really excited and looking forward to this conversation. And I mean, first things first, though, it's always a question I like to ask anyone who started up a company of their own, and that's, you know, how'd you choose a name for the business? Well, I, I'm from the Netherlands, and uh, Kogel is the Dutch word for the balls that are in a ball bearing. So Beauty. that was that was close enough to home. Yeah, so I like that. And you know what? That explains, I guess, why you just got back from the Netherlands, right? So, you know, whereabouts are you from, from Holland? Like, where's your family from? My, uh, I grew up in, uh, in a small town called Elft, uh, which is just outside of Rotterdam. Okay, nice. Outside Rotterdam. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so you know what? I'm quite intrigued from what we talked about earlier before this podcast. You do a fair amount of traveling, right? And 
I always wonder how you manage to run a business with all the traveling. Like, what are some of those traveling tricks or like hacks that you use to operate a business while traveling across numerous locations? For, for me, it is all about using the technologies that are available nowadays. When I'm on the road, my most used app is Google Maps. And I was always wondering, like, how, how did salespeople even do this like 10 years ago? <laughs> Where, where there was no app where you could just punch in the name of a bike shop and it would tell you whether they're open or not, what their phone number is and how to get there. Um, so that's that's one of the things in the office. We're uh, using video calls a lot. So good way to, to separate like short, hey, where is this kind of messages from your inbox so that doesn't blow up at the end of the day. Yeah, that's using technology. That's it. No, I love it. And it's, it's so funny you mentioned that about Google Maps. Like, honestly, I don't know. I don't know how people traveled before Google Maps, right? Like it, it mind boggles me, but it's the, it's the way of the world now, you know? <laughs> I, I still learned to read a map, but once you have to hit like seven, eight locations on a day, and you have to bring maps for all of that and navigate your way around Los Angeles. I have <laughs> no idea how people did that. That's funny. No, good stuff, man. I mean, so let's talk about your background in cycling first. Uh, like, what type of cycling were you involved in, and I guess how competitive did you get over the years? Um, so I'm from the Netherlands originally, so I started cycling probably before I could walk. Um, I have pictures that my mom took when I was a little baby, where I was in the yard working on my bike. So it's something that that's in our culture. Um, competitive cycling, I've started at the age of 16 with mountain bikes, and I did mostly mountain bike marathons, so like 70 to a 200k distance. Um, and I got I got pretty excited about that. I wasn't good enough to uh, ever get the idea that it was a career for me there, but I always said if you put me in a starting box with 500 people, I expect to be at the finish uh, with the first 30. If if everything goes well. Yeah, amazing, eh? No, that's awesome. It, so that's some pretty competitive cycling at times, right? And so it seems like you've had an act for, like you said, since day one, that's all Dutch people. That's, <laughs> they, uh, they live for cycling. So it's true, man. And uh, so, I mean, naturally through all this, I guess you had an act for bikes. You said you were working on bike at an early age, right? So uh, you opened up a bike shop in Belgium in 2010, correct? Yes, that was a little bit of a detour after uh, I, I actually I went to university to come. Uh, um, I have a degree in fashion management and I worked as a product developer for clothing industry for 10 years. And at one point I got really tired of it. Uh, I left my job and I was living in Belgium at the time and I opened my bike shop. Yeah. Were you just doing all mountain bikes, triathlon bikes or kind of what was your, your forte on it all? For me, I opened a shop in Belgium where the people live and breathe road cycling and, and cyclocross. And I opened the first boutique store that only focused on, on like road and mountain bikes. And I had a good amount of tri bikes coming in as well. But it's very uncommon in Belgium for for shops only handle sports bikes and, and not accept any 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 commuter bikes coming into the store so that was what what was unique what was also unique is that i was a dutch person coming to belgium and there's a little bit of a friendly struggle between the dutch and the belgian people maybe not unsimilar to americans and canadians <laughs> so uh, for a dutch person to come to belgium and open a, a racing store was a uh, was a bit of a challenge sometimes 
<laughs> That's <laughs> I, funny, eh? I, yeah, yeah. I always, uh, I always felt I had to uh, prove myself to 120. percent So it was a good way to keep me sharp. That's it. And it's funny, that's a perfect analogy, right? I can only imagine a Canadian going down to the States and, and opening up a shop there too, right? There <laughs> wouldn't be without some uh, yeah. <laughs> some backlash of some sort. Yeah. All in good fun, but yeah. No, opening good up maybe a, an NFL shop. Yeah, <laughs> that's teaching, it. Teaching Americans how to do football. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. No, so I mean, so through this, at what point, like how did how did Kogel Bearings come out of all this? And uh, what made you eventually specialize in bearings specifically? So as I had my shop in Belgium, my biggest, biggest frustration was in ball bearings. The climate is super wet and people just ride in all kinds of weather. And I looked at myself. I had one day off a week. It was a one-man store. So only the Sundays were available for riding. And I wouldn't even check the work, the forecast. Sundays are for riding. So come hell or high water. So bikes live a rough life there. And I learned that even the, the $10,000 bikes that were going out the store were typically still running on 50-cent bearings. If customers ride those in the rain every every week, and two months later, everything is rusted out, that was always my mistake, never the bike. Because customers spent a lot of money and I sold it to them. So right, yeah. my frustration was in having to explain to these customers that they bought this top of the line Pinarello or whatever whatever bike and that after they had that it still required upgrades so i did a lot of research in uh in bearings i found a couple of brands that i really enjoyed working with and then my wife who is from chicago one day came to me and said she had this wonderful job off to become a, a diplomat for the, for the state department and the offer I was presented with was basically, are you coming or are you staying? So I, I had to choose between the one love of my life or the other, <laughs> um, which uh, ended up in me selling the shop and coming to the U.S. and I needed a new project here. So that's uh, where I thought I'll start my uh, attacking my biggest frustration. I also learned that working in retail is incredibly hard work. I would wake up at six in the morning and then work until my wife would call at 10 and ask what time I was coming home. So um, taking, taking my weekends back was a, was a nice side effect to not longer being in the shop. Yeah, no, hey, that's crazy. I, those are such long hours, but it's so true, right? And you get caught up in it and then, uh, you know, you don't realize how far the day's gone and it <laughs> must have been a, definitely some hard labor. So I'm, I mean, I'm glad to see this has all kind of worked out for you because now you've got a thriving business here. And most importantly, I guess, I'm glad you're here with us to talk today about, you know, all things bearings, right? Uh, I think let's start off by talking about quality of bearings in general. Can you educate us on the quality of ceramic bearings versus cheap ceramics or steel bearings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing I always want to remind people of is that Bearings are at the heart of everything that goes around in circles in your bicycle. If they're in the middle of the wheels, if they are in your pedals, if they're in your bottom bracket, if they're in your derailleur, like all those are the things that you have to drive with your legs. So if you can make all those things a little bit more efficient or of a higher quality or last longer, those are all very important things to look at. So even though certain bearings are typically seen as an afterthought, most people spend more color off their bottle cages than they do about their bearings. If you think about it, they're, they're a big part of how your bike performs. And when it comes to good versus uh, bad quality, you can think about uh, the, the roundness of the balls is a very, very obvious one. A higher quality ball will be 
more precisely rounds, like more spherical than, than a low quality one. After that, you have to think about the, the races that these balls run on. They have to be polished just as smooth as the balls that are running on them. Otherwise, it's like running a, running a race car on a bumpy road. So the whole thing needs to be optimized. And that's, that's I think, what, what we're trying to do with, with ceramic bearings. We figured out that ceramic balls can be made much harder, much rounder than, than anything in steel. And it is a very long process to make these balls perfect, to make them as smooth and as round as, as we need it. If, if you keep that in mind, if somebody wants to make a cheap ceramic bearing and they think, oh, well, instead of 20 or 30 days, we can do that for two days. And the same thing goes with, with the manufacturing of the balls before the polishing. Like there's a lot of steps that you can take shortcuts in and that ends up with a subpar quality bearing that probably fails faster than you would expect it to. So when you when you look at bearings in general, I guess, for someone who wants to buy a set of bearings, is there any way of knowing if it's a cheaply made ceramic bearing versus a good quality? Or is it really just going to be based in the price, right? Because you mentioned that the polishing for a good quality ceramic bearing takes weeks, whereas someone can make it a lot more cheaper and therefore like take less time. So is it a matter of like high grade is equivalent to high pricing or like how is, is there any way we can tell? Um, it is very, very hard because, well, if you see it, $2 ceramic bearing on eBay, then, you know, that, that's all the information you need. That's, that's not a high-quality mm-hmm. bearing. <laughs> when it comes to price, I've seen some. Um, I've seen $200 bottom brackets and with bearings, bearings that should not be in a $200 bottom bracket. Let's, let's keep it politically correct here. So um, the only thing that I can think of, uh, and it's just use brand recognition, do your research, talk to people. Um, there's a couple of brands in the ceramic bearing industry that make really high quality products. So stick, stick with the brands that you hear good things about and, and you should be fine. That's right. No, that's some good, that's some good advice there, right? You stick to brands that you know and, and, uh, have a good reputable background. And I think that's, you can't go wrong with that. So, and that's good. And, you know, I'm glad you touched base on, it is very true. You know, a lot of people, they are more focused on what kind of bottle cage they have rather than bearings which play such an integral part of their bike so uh, i'm glad you touched base on that and as we all know this could be a very complex topic so let's start off late here so we don't lose anyone off the start but uh, where can we find bearings on our bike exactly so there's ball bearings in uh, your wheel hubs there's two in the front hub two in the rear hub and two in the free hub typically you'll find them in the bottom bracket so where the pedals go through the frame and you'll find them in your derailleur pulleys those are the three bearing types that, that we cover at kogel You'll also find bearings in your actual pedals and in your headset, but we haven't, we haven't, as a company, we haven't touched those yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, good stuff though. So, so we mentioned where the car co- or where the bearings are on our bike. Now starting off with the bottom brackets, uh, what are they, what are their purposes? And I guess, why is it important to have a quality bottom bracket? Well, a bottom bracket is like the transmission of a car. It's, it's taken all the power that's coming from your legs and it needs to transfer it to the chain. So. One, it's very obvious if you have additional friction there that's unnecessary that, you know, that the power transfer is not going to be as efficient. We like to take that a step further and also make bottom brackets as stiff as possible by not making them super flimsy, not drilling holes in them. And typically we, as a rule, try to move the bearings as close to the crank arms as we can to make the stiffest possible setup. Perfect. Now, how long 
and this is always a good question because I don't think many people know this at all. Like how often or how long will a bottom bracket last until you need to look at replacing one? Good question. And I wish, I wish I had a good answer for you, but it is 100% depending on your use and, and even on the, the ceiling of the bearing, the quality of the bearing. But we, as a, as a company, we have a two-year replacement warranty. So basically, if the company, if the bearings from coal will go bad in the first year, we will just replace them. We used to call it our very few question asked warranty. Uh, after the year, we want our customers to service the bearings. So just to clean them out, put new grease, put new seals, that extends the warranty for the second year. Two years for a ball bearing is a good lifespan in, in my head, but I also know that these numbers are the same benchmarks for a track bike that only rides on the velodrome or a cyclocross bike that gets power washed three times in a race. So it's very hard to say. We get the question a lot, like how many miles should I get out of this? And my answer is always, if you live in the desert, a lot, yeah, a lot. If you live in the climate in Belgium that I described and you do go out on every Sunday without checking the weather forecast, and you know, your bearings are going to need a lot more service, but also the lifespan will be shorter. Perfect. No, so that's good to know, right? And I mean, uh, I guess two, two small questions based off of that answer there. Uh, how do they know, how would someone know when it's time that they need to replace a bottom bracket, right? Like, are they going to notice something mechanically? Are they going to notice it in speed loss or just grinding or any? Any ways of identifying if their bottom brackets needs needs yeah. to be replaced? Yeah, very very easy one for finding damage that you can do as a consumer is just pick it up and, and put your thumb on the outer rays and your index finger on the inner rays and just roll them back and forth in your fingers. If they if they feel smooth and everything feels like it's going around like it's buttery, then you're all good. If it somehow feels crunchy, there's two options. Either your your bearing is somehow damaged on the inside or it's contaminated. You know, so that can be sand, that can be water, maybe a little bit of rust on the inside. The thing that we always recommend is like when these bearings feel crunchy, service them, which is as simple as taking off the seals, using a degreaser to, to clean out everything that's on the inside, then put in uh, a grease or and seal them up again with new seals. Perfect. Awesome. No, that, that's good to know, right? And I mean, as we talk about some basic tips here and uh, mer- uh, like maintenance for bearings, when bikes get dirty after ride or say if for triathlon specific, I guess, if they're riding on the road, it, it gets muddy, uh, a lot of rain, that sort of thing. Uh, what are some things to be mindful of to get the longevity out of the bearings? Because I read it's not ideal for you to be power washing your bike. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely not, not recommend that. Um, especially triathlon bikes are built to have the lowest friction so best protection and lowest friction are sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum so if you set up your bike for fast as possible that almost automatically means that the bearings are not protected in the way that we would which means that if you do power wash them that you know it's very easy to spray water and dirt into the bearings so i would say use a bucket with water and soap Dry your bike off as soon as you come home after a ride if you got caught in the rain. It's like basic maintenance tricks. And every now and then, just check your bearings. Take off the crank. Just spin it. Just feel if everything feels smooth. And if not, just do a service, which is a 15-minute procedure. Perfect. No, awesome. That, that's good stuff. I think uh, a lot of people, just hearing that from you will kind of make people realize that that should be a part of their 
you know, if they're gonna be putting all these kilometers in getting ready for the next Ironman out on the roads, they'll be hitting all types of weather conditions, right? So it's always good to keep up on the maintenance, to be proactive, to get that longevity out of their bottom bracket. So Steven, as I, as I heard myself talking, I was like, wow, I, I wish my bike would get that <laughs> down after everything. I, I, I completely understand if you come home and you're all frozen up, the last thing you think about is like, at least, at least try to have the, the, the self-control to do it after you come out of the shower. Yeah, no, exactly. No, good stuff. And so when we when we talk about bottom brackets here, does this translate to like say for an Ironman, for example, are are there measurable watt savings or what are we getting out of our bike when we choose to upgrade to uh, like a Kogel bottom bracket versus say like a stock bottom bracket that comes on a bike that might not be high quality? Um, upgrading from a from a mediocre or or bad quality bearing or a worn out bearing to a high quality bearing is is always a as a company, we specifically don't speak about exact watt savings because it's a it's a very slippery slope. And the example I always use is I can make our current bearings have lower friction by taking off the seals. Also, that means that your bearings are completely unprotected. So you leave on your Ironman distance ride and by the end of it, your bike will not be as fast as when you started. So for this reason, we never try to what I call squeeze out the last uh, 0.02 watts because we feel that the bike should be ridden and it should be at least be set for the distance, but more ideally it would be set for training and then you can service your bearings maybe before you go to your race and have them all perfect there. Perfect. No, awesome. I love that. That's good. And uh, now cool. Let's switch it up a little bit and talk about the the new Colossus Oversight Derailleur Cage, which I actually have in my hand right now. One just showed up at my doorstep here just before this podcast. So I'm actually super pumped about that. But I like how this come about because, uh, you know, prior to this release, you sold rear derailleur pulley wheels that would fit other rear derailleurs. But uh, now this is quite a game changer, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it is for us. Um, when, when oversized pulleys hit the market, I always believed in the concept of reducing friction by what, what, what oversized pulleys do maybe for the people that are not so familiar with is basically making sure that as your chain runs around the bend on a very small pulley, it has to make a very sharp turn. So every link has to bend quite far. And once you make uh, the pulleys bigger, the chain has to deflect a lot less. And that result of that is to have less friction in your chain. So that will make eventually your bike faster. I've always believed in, in the concept uh, ever since these, products hit the hit the scene uh, i think as early as 2010 they were used in the tour de france by um by fabian Cancellara and uh and the schlag brothers the downside of it is that you would always need to change the the cage so the part of the derailleur that actually holds those pulleys because they are you need to fit a, a bigger wheel in it and the things that we saw in the market that were all quite flexible so it would always you know, it would make it suitable for riding on a smooth surface, but not necessarily for, for gravel bikes. And since our company has an off-road uh, history, we always want to make sure that things are bomb-proof. So it took us a few years. You know, we're, we're not a company that jumps on the bandwagon for, for every new fad that comes to cycling. So I wanted to see, but by 2020, definitely oversized pulley cages are product category. They're definitely no longer a fad. So it was a reason for us to jump on it and see like where can we improve this. 
And where can we make this in such a way that it doesn't discriminate between triathlon or road race or gravel bike? Right. So when it comes to designing a product like that, like a oversized rear derailleur cage, like the Colossus, like how do you figure out that right amount of stiffness while still maintaining that low drag profile, right? Like it seems to be quite a difficult piece to engineer. Like I'm feeling, I'm holding it now. It's uh, it's got the aerodynamics to it, but it also, yeah, it's like you mentioned, it's very stiff. So I think it's really top quality, but always curious how it's developed. Yeah. So this was definitely the most uh, complicated engineering project that we've, we've ever undertaken in the past. You know, I have a history as a, as a garment engineer that does not really translate to making uh, So usually what our design process is, is the, drawing a bottom bracket cup and putting in the tolerances and the shapes and the size and sending it off to somebody to make the deck drawing. For bottom brackets, that's pretty easy. With this, like you say, it's a lot more complicated. So we actually hired an outside engineering uh, company and we worked on it with them. I, I set the benchmarks for them. Like, hey, I want it to be this and I want it to be like that. And they went out first, uh, designed the product. We decided that aluminum for, for our goals was a better product uh, to be used or better material than than carbon or or plastic that you find in a lot of cages um once we set those benchmarks we could go back and and test them to see if if it did what we need and after that we had prototypes made perfect whether someone goes for the colossus where it comes with the derailleur cage the pulley wheels already inside them uh or they want to retrofit their current setup with the oversized pulley wheels uh, like, how do they go about knowing what will fit their bike setup? Um, it's it's as simple as knowing what type of derailleur you run, and and on our website we'll we'll guide you to what is the biggest pulley that we can fit on the stock cage, or if we have a solution to uh, to put it as an aftermarket uh, cage, and that allows us to use much bigger pulleys. Perfect. So yeah, so essentially, if someone wants help on that they can easily go to the website and you guys guide them through it or if they want to keep it nice yeah. and easy go with the colossus it already comes with the regular cage it's it's perfect <laughs> so yeah, good and oh i was about to say the cage is a little bit more uh, complicated to install like uh, i think anybody with an allen wrench can install a different set of pulley uh, wheels uh, with the sizes that we can put on the stock cage usually can you can use your your standard chain that you've been using before uh, with the Colossus, because the wheels are so much bigger, like automatically you're, you're going to need a, a couple extra links in your chain. So that usually results in a new chain. No, that's good to know. All right. Now, Kogo sells pulley wheel sets by, you know, 12 teeth or 14 teeth. And, you know, what do these numbers translate to? And, and how does a rider choose what's right for them? Uh, so in our in our current pulley collection, we basically took every derailleur on the market and try to see what is the biggest pulley that we can fit in in the cage as it is. And for the bottom pulley, that is usually uh, restricted by the uh, the bottom of the cage. And for the top pulley, that's usually restricted by the amount of clearance between the cassette and the, and the pulley wheel. So for every derailleur on the market, we, instead of using the stock 11-tooth top and 11-tooth bottom pulley, we can usually fit on a 12 at the top and a 14 at the bottom with the idea of one creating a badass look but uh, also to just reduce friction perfect no amazing so just another quick point to the pulley wheels here is that uh, there's two 
seal types. Now, uh, of course, one's meant for road and the other's meant for riders to take the beaten path. So can you just explain quickly just the, the reasoning for seals and the, the types and the differences between the two types? Yeah, absolutely. With my background as a, as a mountain bike racer in a, in a very wet climate, it was from the beginning a given that I wanted to serve those those two markets. So find uh, find some roads that might not be ridden on by many people, and and on the other hand, trying to find these elite athletes. With that in mind, we just developed the two seal types, and the easiest way to understand the difference is that our road seals are they're not fully open seals, but they're barely brushing the races. Like they're, they're right on the border between the open and a closed bearing. And our cross seals are made with a with a double lip seal that catches some grease in between the lip. And, and it has a bit more pressure on the races just really to keep all the dirt out and the, and the grease in. Perfect. Awesome. So that, that's good to know, right? It's, uh, I mean, not so much that the consumer really needs to identify those specifics, but just to understand that there's road seals and, and there's different types of seals depending on what type of riding you, you'll have. But I'm sure, like like you mentioned, on the website there, you you go over the differences between them and you guide people in the right direction if they have any questions. And and I guess just to kind of jump onto that, before we move on to other topics, I, I sort of want to re-summarize everything we just spoke on in more of a visual manner here. So I, I mean, let's walk the listeners through a little scenario here and, and say that you had a brick and mortar Kogel bearing store shop there. And, and I was a customer coming in um, who perfect example here that I'm racing an Ironman coming up and I want to upgrade my bike components and uh, don't know a whole lot about bottom brackets or rear derailers or things like that. So how would we go about finding what's right for me as a, a customer looking for bearings? Um, it, it depends a little bit on what what you're looking for. For us, our business started in bottom brackets, and since that is a product where a lot of people have problems, that's the first thing I would look at, not necessarily from a, a friction or going faster idea, but really to be like, hey, make this rock solid so you can forget about it because nobody wants to listen to a creaky bottom bracket for 100 miles in a race. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that would be my, my first recommendation. After that, uh, typically people upgrade their uh, pulleys. Um, that's also where, where a lot of the friction savings come from. And the last step would be to look at the wheel bearings. Perfect. And, and you know what? So that's actually my next topic I want to get into there. Talking about wheel bearings here, can you you know kind of tell us a little bit about that and how that all works and, and uh, why it's such an important bearing in particular on the bike? Yeah, Um First, I want to repeat, they're at the heart of your wheels. Without bearings, your wheels are not going to go around in circles. So that automatically makes them makes them important <laughs> for me. Uh, with that, it is not a life-changing thing. If you bought your first triathlon bike, uh, maybe off, off Craigslist for $500, then maybe your wheel bearings should not be the first thing that you're looking at. They're more like once you've bought some really nice wheels and you know, you've got your bike fit with yourself really comfortable and you've got your saddle and your handlebars all set up to be comfortable you bought the ones that actually fit you that's when you have to start looking at where where can we make little changes to make this bike better and that's 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 where the wheel bearings come in and well after that it's as simple as you buy a, a certain wheel set that has six bearings in it and we need to fit the right sizes which is sometimes a challenge because the manufacturers do not always need to uh, they, they don't always like to communicate the the sizes that are in there so it's sometimes it's a little bit of uh, research on the shop side or to simply open up the hubs and, and see which sizes are in there awesome no that, that's good to know right and 
So again, much like the other bearings we spoke on there, like how can one know if their wheel bearing needs to be replaced or um, is there, is it just like the other ones like bottom brackets where there is no exact time frame of how long they should re- be replaced? It's all individual. Yeah. Try and try and spin them with your finger and see if it's crunchy test is, uh, is about as scientific as we can make it. And that's, by the way, that's the, the way that I test my own bikes, my, my personal bike. So yeah, once, once something feels like it's not running smoothly, then, you know, either service them yourself or bring them into the shop and they'll be able to tell you if that service made everything go back to you or if the bearings need to be replaced. Excellent. There we go. No, it's good. And then just to kind of summarize all of that there. And now if a listener wants to go out, but can only buy one of the three or want to start out by buying one of the three different bearing categories we spoke on today, uh, would there be any recommendation on which of the three would translate to the best performance in an Ironman or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, like like I said, for me, bottom bracket is the first thing I look at uh, because that's the one that, that might cause a problem if it's not a good one. You can finish any race on a standard derailleur pulley, but you know it will be a bit faster on a, on a nice one, so that would be my next step. And wheel bearings would be next. Excellent. Let's uh, go back a little bit here just before we end off the podcast. We'll just talk about Kogel here briefly as a company because uh, you know one of the things I notice you know going through the website is the key thing is the customer service aspect of it, where obviously you guys are well aware that bearings could be, you know, a difficult subject for a lot of people who might not understand bearings. So it looks like it's well laid out on the website, you know, showing the benefits, everything you guys have a bearings one-on-one page. And then the main thing is if a customer has questions on setting up their bike, you guys just say, contact us with your information and then you guys will guide them through it. Right. So um, I, I definitely find the customer service is pretty key there. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, when I, when I started the company, I one of my main goals was starting the company that I would like to do business with. What's very nice with a company is if you have a question and you call them, that they actually pick up the phone. So we're very good at responding to emails within 24 hours and uh, troubleshooting if they have a problem and sometimes jumping on a quick video call to, to see what's what's going on. So we, we, we like to do all those things. Um, you mentioned our website. Uh, if people ever go to kogel.cc, there's a button called blog. blog. We try to answer every possible question that customers might have. Um, in fact, usually the blog title is the question that we got from a customer. We, we don't shy away from many topics. So we, we prefer to we prefer the brutal and honest truth over uh, over not answering questions about pricing or whatever it means, et cetera. Yeah, perfect. You know, I hope the listeners understand the bearings a little bit more after, about their bikes. As we mentioned earlier, you know, they're integral components of your bike overall and the performance overall. So now we mentioned there that the website, again, if they want to find out more information on the products, it's kogel.cc. And you guys still have the sale on the Colossus right now, correct? Yeah, correct. So since officially this product is in uh, pre-sale, uh, customers can grab it at $50 off uh, until the end of January. But I can tell you some inside information that we're actually starting to ship them this week already. So if people want to get a deal on it and have it in their hands by next day or two days later, they can still jump on it until the end of the month. Awesome. Perfect. Well, that's great, man. And that's fantastic. Of course, I'd recommend following Kogel Bearings on Instagram, Facebook as well. Uh, you guys have solid social media following there. And you know what? I think that's a wrap, Art. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention to people listening in that we might not have touched base on yet? No, I think we did a really good uh, job touching all the different components that, that are on a bike that we can optimize. So if people have any 
questions, they can either reach out to info at kogel.cc or email me direct at art at kogel.cc. And yeah, and happy to help. Perfect. Awesome. And thanks so much. I mean, obviously we know at the end of the day, you, you broke things down in layman's terms here and I want to make sure that everyone, you know, leaves knowing, understanding the basics of bearings, but I know you could get really complex if you wanted to. So uh, we appreciate you taking the time to break it down for us here. So, uh, you know, that's a wrap. Thanks again and all the best, man. Cheers. Well, fantastic. Thank you, Stephen. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap with Ard Kessels. Thanks so much for listening in. If you enjoy this episode among others, then please just take a minute to open up the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone, search Pacing Racing, click subscribe, and then scroll to the very bottom and leave us a quick written review. That takes less than a minute to do, but it goes a long, long way in helping me out. So to all who do that, thanks so much. It's greatly appreciated. And other than that, happy training, everyone. And if you want to train with me on Zwift, then drop me a follow by searching Stephen Langenhausen. Anyway, take care. Chat soon. Cheers. Cheers.